the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and me, Rob Davis. We have a fantastic show for you guys today. We're going to be talking about our favourite books in the Dresden Files series, uh, as well as kind of what reading we've been doing recently. We realise we haven't done that one for a little while, so we'll talk catch up on that one uh and then we're going to go into some of the most uh, incredible uh early in the series chapters uh as we get to the vampire masquerade ball of grave peril um incredible 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 uh so uh, to kick off rob what have you been reading recently that is a very good question um, because I keep picking books up, reading a few chapters, putting it down, and picking up something else. Um, but I mean, okay. outside outside of university reading at the moment, I I started um the Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, which is I mean it's only a sixty page novel novella. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. I figured big Stephen King fan, I need something that will scare me shitless. And decided Clive Barker was the way to go, and for a short story, I actually have time to do that. So, yeah. Past like the few game times that I know of, like Clive Barker's Jericho, I don't know much about Clive Barker. Uh, no, no. How is the? Uh, what's his style like? Um, I mean, I've only read one chapter, so it's it's probably a bit too early for me to say. Um, but no, I think That's based, based on that, <laughs> based on that one chapter, I think you'd like it so far. Like, um, okay. Stephen novels. Kingish, or yeah, I mean, kind of. I guess they were contemporaries at the time. I think they were around. I think Clive Barker was, I want to say, early eighties, mid eighties. He was doing like all of his, um, I want to say, best stuff. But that's probably not the way to put it. Uh, peak popularity, yeah. I guess. Okay, and um, was he's from Liverpool as well, if I remember right. So he's he's a local, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, yeah, the the Hellbound Heart is um, what influenced the film Hellraiser, like with the uh, pinhead and oh, okay. that shit. Um, yeah, it's interesting to mention that Clive Barker wrote the script and directed the first Hellraiser film. I think he co-produced the second one and then after that he kind of dropped off and then weirdly the franchise kind of drove itself into the ground so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it like so many horror franchises before it it's one of those where it kind of descends into silliness yeah Um, pretty much is my understanding but the um, the first one very good i enjoyed that i mean I've not seen the films either. I didn't actually know it was they were related until I think until I read reviews on Amazon for um, Hellbound Heart because I bought that and I bought another short story collection, and mm. then I found out the truth and was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely like. Uh, I would recommend watching if you're if you're into horror and it's coming to that time of year. Um, Hellraiser is uh, now 
for days. I don't think it would be that shocking. It was super shocking at the time, and even to teenage Pat, it was super shocking. Um, but hey, it's 2020, and, and we're practically living in an infernal dimension ourselves, so I'm sure mm. it'll just feel like another day. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of viewing it. Um, I'm also, I say reading, I'm, I'm going very slowly with it, but uh, Basketful of Heads by Joe Hill, uh, the graphic novel. Oh, um, the, the comic book. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've only read I think the first two or three issues, but I mean so far I'm enjoying it. It's very, I know it, it reminds me a bit of like the kind of horror that Evil Dead is. So kind of um, I don't know how to describe it. There's a bit of a uh, silliness in there, I guess. Yeah, I can get uh, I can get behind that definitely. Nice. Um, same question to you, I suppose. Um... Yeah, so what have I been reading recently? Well, uh, as as I've consistently been mentioning all the way through our podcast date, I am still going through the Horus Heresy novels. Uh, I'm now on uh, book 13, which is Nemesis. Um, the, the last one I read was called A Thousand Sons, and that was about like um, these psychic Egyptian space marines uh, who basically got shafted by absolutely everyone mm. um, and uh, got made kind of scapegoats and stuff. But um, I'm really enjoying now that I'm like 10 books plus into the series. It's really obvious that all these writers were working alongside each other and there's lots of... Um, nods to each other's books and stuff it has a it, i would really liken it to like the mcu films where there's like oh this is going on over here and this and this is happening in the same universe and and these two people know each other and like they reference each other in their own films and books and you get like momentary appearances of main characters from other books in in um in each other's books and stuff so uh i'm really really enjoying that but it's uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to get through, um, yeah. and they bring out more books, the bastards. Um, <laughs> so uh, alongside that, uh, I think I talked about the Sandman audio drama. Um, yeah. Uh, that was that was a big one that I got through fairly recently. Um, the other stuff that I've kind of got um, that I've been listening to. Been listening to a lot of uh, kind of marketing bits because I'm starting working again, so I'm just trying to get back uh, into that flow. So uh, I'm uh, reading something called Marketing Rebellion, which is probably very boring to our listeners, but I enjoy it. Oh, Axiom's End uh, by Lindsay Ellis oh, as well yeah. was another book. That... I remember it being mentioned? Yeah, I finished that uh, fairly recently. Um, highly recommend uh, if you like. Independence Day, um, the the original, that sort of like nineties, early two thousands vibe is very strong here. Mm. Um, what I will say is, I feel that Lindsay Ellis's personality, for good and ill, 
comes across in the text. Um, she, I, I think that she's a fantastic kind of critic of the arts and stuff, but she can also be very, um, I think she can be quite Marmite to some people. And I think if you don't, if you don't like her kind of attitude, then you might struggle a little bit with it because it definitely comes across in the writing. But I'm a big fan of Lindsay Ellis and a big fan of her attitude, so I like it. Fair enough. Um, so that's kind of been my other my other big one. Um, and then uh, I <laughs> I have recently bought The Hero with a Thousand Faces, um, which I'm actually reading or hoping to read to help me improve as a, as a dungeon master to improving like the heroic arcs of my characters. Yeah. Um, but that's one that I haven't really started yet. Um, and I really should, cause it's, it's freaking beloved on creative writing courses. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Comic book wise, it's been a bit of a slow month or two for me. Um, just, DC doesn't seem to know where it's going right now. Uh, it's because everything just seems to be trying to wrap up for the big um, push to. I, I, I don't know what they're calling it, but the the phase five, whatever it is, oh, where they they are moving. Is it currently future state? Future state. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah it's where they're moving the DC universe forward. Um. So that's so that's kind of I'm picking up bits of of that, um, but there's nothing that's really stood out to me yet. Uh, and then on the Marvel side, I'm still only following the X Men stuff because everything else is kind of making me go. Ugh. So um, of the X Men stuff, it's becoming really hard to get the volumes uh, of the X Men stuff from Amazon at least. I, I'm not quite sure why, um, but yeah, I've. Uh, I'm relatively up to date yeah. uh, going into X of Swords, um, which looks like it's going to be very interesting and in changing a lot of the kind of power sets of people and uh, alliances and, and all this sort of thing. And they could only keep the harmony on uh, Krakatoa for so long. So, um, they need they need something to shake it up, which is cool. Oh, I read the the X Men Fantastic Four crossover as well, which was that was very good. Um, highly recommend that. That's uh, Chip Chip Zardinsky, um, oh, yeah. who is a hell of a writer. Uh, I think I first came across him as an artist on Sex Criminals. Um, yeah, I think the same. I was just trying to remember what he did, and that that's probably it. Yeah. Which is that's a that's a fantastic series for our fans over eighteen. I, I seriously recommend that. Um, the last thing that I was going to shout out, and I'll put a link to this one in, in the description, is that I picked up um, Jim Butcher's Spider-Man novel, uh, mm-hmm. Spider-Man: The Darkest Hours, um, has now come onto Audible. Nice. Um, I don't know why it has suddenly come onto Audible, but it has. Um, and uh, it is probably one of my favourite Spider-Man... I would say it's one of my favourite Spider-Man stories, actually. It ties into definitely one of my favourite Spider-Man stories, uh, which is 
the start of J. Michael Straczynski's run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it kind of spins off that. Yeah. Um, it's only six hours long, so it, I would you'd probably class it more as a novella than a novel, but um, you can get through it in six hours, uh, and um, it's well worth it. And if you like Jim's style, and you probably do because you listen to this podcast, uh, it's definitely worth it. Nice. So moving on to our para networking. Um, our question for today is, which is your favourite Dresden Files novel? Um, and I picked this one out because I feel like a lot of the time when we're looking at Jim Butcher, like fan groups and thing, and appreciation groups and all this sort of thing, um, a lot of the time it just kind of gets waved off as... Oh, it's changes. It's got to be changes. Everyone loves changes. Um, Which, don't get me wrong, changes is a great book. Um, But I just wanted to see if we have, if we both have a similar uh, thought on it or if we're completely different. Uh, And yeah, um, and just kind of give our reasons why and maybe why, why we have thoughts a bit different to some of the rest of the community. Um, so yeah, Rob, what is your favorite Dresden Files book? Um, it's quite interesting because I was thinking just then about the question we had, I think it last week of uh, unpopular opinion. And I remember saying that I don't like Susan. And I think each book that I was about to mention as being my favorite has Susan in it, (laughs) (laughs) which was going to be, I was going to say Grave Peril at first because it's, it's where I truly fell in love with the series. Um, yeah. Then I was gonna say, is it Death Masks, the book, book five? Book five, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say that like because Death of. Masks. Sorry. I like Death Masks. That's that's yeah. up there for me. I, I was gonna say that for um, the Denarians then being introduced, the Knights of the Cross and all that kind of stuff. I just remember like that. I think that was the first Dresden book where I would go to bed, and as soon as my fiance falls asleep, I would sneak downstairs with the book and just continue reading um i think uh, i don't know there's there's so many choices obviously there's so many choices but i think at the moment i'm gonna have to go with skin game just because again it's got the denarians in it who are my favorite villains of the series um we've got harry being forced to work with them which i think was just a nice it had a really good dynamic, I thought, and some of the twists and turns that you get in it as well are like amazing. Um, and the whole, the whole—I mean, before all the action kicks off, there's that scene between Harry Dresden and Hades, which I think is mm-hmm. just terrific. Definitely. Um, yeah, I I can definitely. Skin Game was not one that came to mind for me, but I can see that there are some great parts to Skin Game, and it's one of I, the few that I have really. I also to. read it more recently, so yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's one of the few that I've really listened to, and and mostly because it has some really nice twists and turns, like you say. Mm. Um, so I I can definitely understand that. Um, 
So, why would you choose Skin Game over the likes of Changes? Um, I I don't know. Like I don't. Changes is a weird one for me, and I I don't know if it's. Hmm. I mean, the Susan thing annoyed me anyway, but I I don't know why. Like apart from like the third act of the book. I wasn't that into changes as much as everyone else, and I feel a bit bad saying that because I feel there's going to be a lynch mob for me in a minute. But I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know how to explain it. I just wasn't. I wasn't as into it as like the, some of the books that came before it, and certainly some of the ones that came after. And I do not know why. I think it's. I, I don't know if it's because I went to it into it already knowing how a lot of the fan base feels about it. So I went into it with a lot of high expectations. Um Yeah. And I guess I guess by the end of the book those expectations are met. But like I say, everything prior to the third act when they go to Chichen Itza, I I just wasn't yeah. really that bothered about. I was just kind of sat there waiting for them to get to that bit. I know what you mean. Um I also don't think I can tell the, you anything the... else about the book. So <laughs> part of the issue that I have with changes is that apart from that the big finale and <laughs> a little bit before that where Harry has to make the deals that he has to make yeah, I could not tell you any of the plot points no I feel I think the only bit I can remember in my head go ahead yeah, I think the only other bit I can remember is, and I'm not even sure if this is the right book, um, Harry getting uh, like his mother's kind of guide to the Never Never, and then they go to like Mexico or wherever it is to raid a warehouse. Yeah. And that's the only other plot point. And I'm, I, I'm not even sure if that's the right book, because I read like uh, Turncoat and a bunch of others in very quick succession. Yeah. Yeah, that might be the one before, but he still has it, and I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, huh. Anyway, um, I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, yeah. So, my favourite Dresden Files book um out of the entire series is Ghost Story. Fair enough. Um, I guess that could be an unpopular opinion as I have, well. I have... That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people seems... really do not like Ghost Story. Yeah, it, it, the fan response to that from what I've seen on discussion boards and stuff seems very divided. Um. Yeah, I, so... So why do I like Ghost Story? So, um, spoilers ahead uh, for those of you that haven't that haven't read the series, uh, you may want to just skip forward a little bit. But uh, last chance for spoilers. Okay, right. Uh, so, uh, Ghost Story is the story of Harry Dresden solving his own murder, um, and what I 
there's some great bit. There's lots of bits that I enjoy about Ghost Story, but the first thing that I really enjoy is going back into a situation where Dresden is no longer the the big cheese powerhouse, and instead has to use his brain and has to learn and investigate a lot more. Mm. Um, but but with Jim Butcher's style evolved to the point of the later books where he has a lot more uh, characters to play with and his pacing is a bit tighter um, and he's just, he's very comfortable in the characters, uh, especially Dresden. Um, it's just a nice meshing of those two. Um, I really like Jim's depiction of the afterlife. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that. Uh, so I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, I like the time skip and the results of it. Uh, so we we skip forward six months in the book, and I really like how Jim uses those six month that six month time skip to play with the characters, and um, especially the first time we see all the characters meeting at Murphy's house. Um, Jim gets an opportunity to kind of allude to changes that those characters have gone through in the last six months um, without directly saying it. And, it's, and there's just some really beautiful, like, showing, not telling um, that I really enjoy. Um, so I like that. Uh, the evolution of Molly, I think, is fantastic. Um, mm. And the way that... That that character is handled um, in Ghost Story is particularly good, I think. Um, I really like Molly in in all of the books, to be perfectly honest. But um, I, I particularly like her in Ghost Story because she's kind of at her lowest point, and um, it's very interesting to see like how a character deals with being at, at that rock bottom, I guess. Um, and the final battle has so much of her personality in it. Um, I just, I, I think that that's incredible. I mean, what other series allows you to physically go inside the head of characters um, and and explore how they're visualizing things? It, it, it's without there be without them being the point of view character. Um, it's it's very it's very cool, um, and also we get a lot more of Bob uh, and Bob the Skull was superb in the early books, but I feel kind of got left on the sidelines a little bit towards the the middle of the series. Mm. Um, so it's great to kind of see him come back. Um, yeah, I, it just has a lot of uh, really nice moments for the Dresden Files as a whole and. A lot of people say that it was a bit of a send off to the the investigative side of Dresden Files, and I can kind of see that. Yeah. Um, and I, I and I think that that's that's dealt with really well when Nick Angel from Angel Investigations it gets kind of brought back into things, and there's that kid that is on the kind of wrong side of the law, and Harry kind of helps redeem him a bit, a bit like how Harry himself was saved by people and helped out by people like Ebenezer and things like that. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really good um, exploration of 
Dresden and the universe. So I would put that up as my favourite. Um, and also, it's the only one that I have re-listened to multiple times because there's lots of little details and how everyone's reacting and stuff that implies or infers things that pop up in later books or call back to earlier books um, that I really, yeah, I love. And also the final twist um, of Ghost Story when he awakens again is incredible. Um, that that really made me, I remember reading that for the first time and it really made me go like, <gasps> Fair enough. So yeah, um, as for why do I prefer that over changes, um, I would say that changes is a very Harry central book, but mm. really, um, I don't feel like there's much character development in changes. Um, there is Harry being physically pushed into doing things or like mentally pushed into doing things that he wouldn't have done normally. Um, but I don't feel like it really explores his character much. It's more like he does what he has to to accomplish his objective in changes. Um, but he, he doesn't... Uh, it doesn't change how he, how he is as a person. Um, he signs on with one group of bad guys... Uh, because it is, it's the best out of a bad lot of options, which mm. I think anyone would have in that position, apart from maybe Michael Carpenter. Um, so I, I just, yeah, um, I feel like the fallout of what happens and changes, um, the emotional fallout, which is the bit that I enjoy in Dresden Files, the, the melodrama, um, is actually more present in Ghost Story as the follow-up than it is in Changes itself. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, I but I think Skin Game as well is a great pick. I think out of the early books, I'm a bit like you, like the uh, the back end of the first ten, so like the last six, seven, eight, and nine, ten, I have mm. very like spotty memories of because I, I read them all like back to back to back to back to back yeah um, i think of the first maybe like book one up until changes i'd probably go with death masks because i think after that i was in my like absolute stride of like knocking them out about every two weeks <laughs> <laughs> so a that lot being of the said there's some great a lot of plot points and stuff kind of ran together in my head a bit so i probably couldn't tell you which one's which yeah, I, I'm very much the same. And there's some great moments in all of them. Mm. Um, the discovery of Demon Reach. Um, I think that's book 10, because that's where they have the battle. Um, the like um, the first kind of bits where Vatarun gets introduced. Uh, the Denarians popping up several times are really interesting. Um Harry Dresden investigating a porn shoot, superb, um, absolutely hilarious. Um, the necromancers and Harry Dresden animating a full T Rex, um, yeah. all 
great, great moments. Uh, introduction of some some of the best characters in the series as well. Uh, Ivy, uh, Butters, um, Guard, Kincaid. Kincaid is superb. So there's, there's plenty there. And let's not forget uh, the whole Lashiel arc. Oh, um, yeah, I forgot about that for a moment. Yeah, man. Uh, so there's there is loads of great stuff. I and I would also like to, as a small caveat, in case we get any uh, Dresden diehards coming after us, Changes is still a great book, and I there is no book in the Dresden Files that really makes me go, God, I don't want to read that again. Um, <laughs> Full Moon was kind of that for me. But I feel like that was more like a, a Mandela effect kind of thing where I'd been told like so many people, uh, so many opinions on the web had just kind of pushed in that full moon is the one to be avoided, run from full moon and rereading it. It's it's good. It's fun. There's some, some really cool moments. Um, I really enjoyed uh a lot of the uh, the stuff with the street walls, um, like that that fight on the side of the highway, I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Um, so I I don't think I think it gets uh, I think it's a great series. I wouldn't single out like um, anything as being bad, but I think Ghost Story and Skin Game are both great uh, examples and. Um, if changes is your favorite example, then change is your favorite example. Um, funnily enough, I haven't seen many people claim that Peace Talks or Battleground is their favorite book in the series, and I'm and I'm kind of wondering why. But I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Not really. Um, no, like I mean, pe- people like what they like. Uh, it's hard to place Battleground and Peace Talks, I feel, just because of the whole being split in half, but also being one story in itself. Yeah. I I kind of felt like Battleground had that, that same quality of being um, a bit like Changes, where we didn't get much character development in it, because everything yeah. was just going batshit mental. I think... I think if it was one book with peace talks, I'd probably I'd rate it a lot higher than each one individually. Yeah, but I also just felt a little bit like a thin you didn't get enough development. Yeah, definitely. For for being a creature as powerful as they were, I thought I know that's I think we discussed it in the spoiler episode where I was ex- I was really expecting like a time skip, like X amount of years had passed and. All, all this other shit has happened just so we'd get yeah. kind of the fallout of that. Whereas, yeah, I think I'm kind of, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying not to say anything too spoilery <laughs> for Battleground at the moment. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's where I'm at with it. I, I still enjoyed everything in there. But, yeah. I, I definitely feel a need for a... a ghost story like follow up book where things kind of chill out a bit more and we get a bit more of a view of okay so what was the actual impact of all that yeah 
It'll be interesting uh, to see where the series goes, at least. I, I definitely, definitely. I, I kind of felt like the big dramatic question in, in Battleground was just who's going to die? How's it going to happen? Who's going to do something cool? Whereas I kind of want some bigger, some bigger questions to be to be answered, and also I kind of want to see how. Uh, I'm really interested to see how the the fallout of the battle and some of the the kind of major character beats um, affects other other members of the Dresdenverse. Mm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. So. Um, yeah, uh, uh, is there anything else that you want to throw in on this? Uh, not at the moment. Um, no worries. In which case, shall we head over to our Paranet Book Club? Yeah, I almost forgot that's why we were here. So, <laughs> probably best. <laughs> so, Grave Peril, the third book in the Dresden Files series. Uh, and Oh boy, we have got a lot to talk about today. Um, I just opened up our messenger chat and just got a huge picture of Superhands from Peep Show. Uh, (laughs) Me and Rob uh, are great fans of Mitchell and Webb in all their forms, and particularly Peep Show, and often send each other videos, GIFs and such. <laughs> that really sounded like for a second you were like, "Am I gonna do this?" Yeah, I'm I was not trying sure to if I'm gonna of, do this. Yeah, I hope that kind of gave the uh, <laughs> David Mitchell-esque-ness to it. <laughs> okay, so last time on Grave Peril. Um, we uh, we had some really cool chapters. We had uh, Harry searching Graceland Cemetery for charity uh, while contending with many other spirits present, uh, tangling with uh, the demonic ghost, uh, the nightmare, uh, when uh, uh, and and losing, um, only to be saved by his godmother Leah, uh, who gave. Harry the power to save Charity if he would just turn himself in to Leah after the battle or once Charity was safe. Uh, Harry and Michael went against the demon. Uh, Michael takes on the demon while Harry tends to Charity um, who starts going into labour. Harry tells Michael uh, who uh, which distracts Michael uh, and the demon forces Michael to disarm himself or else uh, he will kill Harry and Charity. Uh, Harry sees that there is a stream close by and full body tackles the demon into it, destroying its uh, ectoplasmic body. Uh, Leah appears to take Harry and he prepares to fight her, taking up Michael's sword. Unfortunately, this breaks the protection upon the blade and Leah is able to steal it. Uh, chapter 22, Harry and Michael talk in the emergency room after Harry is up to by doctor. It looks like Charity might not be able to have more kids and that their current child could be at risk. Harry realises that the demon must be commanded by someone else. He then plays on Michael's guilt to keep him in the fight. Um, one of the more morally dubious things that we've seen Harry do for a while. 
Uh, chapter 23, Harry tries to summon the demon himself and manages to briefly to force the demon to only be able to attack himself. Susan calls Harry, but tell, uh, Susan calls, but Harry tells her that she is busy through Michael, not even directly. Uh, Harry decides that him and Michael are going to go to Bianca's party. That brings us to chapter 24. Harry and Michael arrive at Bianca's party and meet a white court vampire for the very first time. Thomas Wraith with his partner Justine. Harry and Michael enter the party in their costumes of a Templar knight and a cheesy vampire revealed, offending almost everyone there. Thomas Wraith intervenes to prevent an all-out brawl. And that takes us to this week's chapters. Good to take over, Rob? Yeah, I'm going to try and speed through it as compared to, <laughs> compared to usual where I kind of get sidetracked. But, um, okay. yeah. So chapter 25, we pick up right where we left off. Uh, Thomas tries to smooth things over a bit with Bianca, saying that, you know, as guests of the party, we were um, under the protection of whatever right it is as a guest, um, and that the costume wasn't intended to insult. We were told to come in costume, which means, you know, in costume. You're pretending to be something you're not. So... That kind of gets him a bit of a pass, but Bianca's still a bit like, eh, we'll see about that. <laughs> um, Harry and Michael realise that very slowly, the rest of the party members that are vampires are slowly beginning to circle around them. Um, and they kind of, I don't know, keep, keep trying to move towards the different areas of the room just to kind of get away from them. I imagine that... Um, what am I thinking of? It, <laughs> I won't say it was, it, it was an example from The Simpsons, but it's quite a racist one, so I'm not going to go for that. Um, <laughs> on yeah, a, on um, a better one, then, I, I, it made me think of the masquerade ball in Van Helsing, the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Where, like, they, where Van Helsing sort of looks in the mirror and realises that he's the only non-vampire in the room. It, it was kind of that sort of feeling where, like, everything seems normal, but suddenly you realise we're in a lot of danger. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, in any case, Kyle and Kelly Hamilton, they, they walk over, and I quite like this appearance because they're acting as if the whole scuffle from earlier just didn't happen. So they're being a bit, a bit civil to each other. Um, Harry's being usual self which is even though the this bad guy is being a bit polite and you know to save face harry's just calling him out and being a dick um something that i did enjoy here was uh michael it, it shows that michael still has like the power of god behind him even without the sword um i can't remember if kelly just brushes his hand or full-on goes to grab him but um like bright yeah, radiant light kind of like yeah, I mean, in any case, she she does whatever it is she does, and like bright, radiant, bright light kind of emits from Michael and burns her off, and it, it has like my favorite line in the entire book, maybe even series, where Harry's like, "Yeah, that's right, don't mess with the fist of God," and I just love that like title, "Fist of God." It's just if anything's going to emit power, it's like that title. Um. Yeah. Yeah, but in that in that uh, confrontation. The Hamiltons, like, offer Dresden a glass of wine, which, you know, naturally he's going to neck because he's an idiot. Um, 
after they disappear and there's that little scuffle, Thomas returns, approaches Harry and like points out that uh, the wine has been poisoned. Um, in chapter 26, Harry and Michael work out that the poison is uh, red court secretion, which like we like we addressed earlier in the book is a bit of a narcotic. It, it wouldn't knock him out completely. It would just kind of make him defenseless enough to be to become prey, I guess. But in any case, I quite mm. like this section because Harry kind of like stand not Harry, um Michael stands in front of Harry and Harry kind of does the whole throwing up like in a corner. And it, it just made me think of, you know, in like cartoons and stuff where like someone has a drink they don't want to drink and they just kind of chuck it in the plant next to them. Yeah. Yeah, it it made me think of that for some reason. Um so yeah, he gets rid of the drink, vomits up everywhere. Um, and as as they realise they're being watched by some guy who's smoking, just kind of judging, like giving them the proper like judgy face. And it's pointed out that the cigarette isn't lit. The smoke is just emanating from his mouth anyway. Um, and then it's revealed that this person is in fact a dragon. And not only is he a dragon, he is Ferravax the dragon. My favourite character who appears in the series and does fuck all. Um, <laughs> it's very, like, there's a bit that, that of... Uh, basically, that could be his tagline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that it's such, it's, it's stress, not stresses me out, but I wouldn't even say it annoys me, it's just every time he's mentioned or appears, I'm like, ooh! And then, like, nothing comes with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we get a bit of, uh, we're introduced to Ferravax and what he is. Um, and that he's like the eldest of all the dragons, and that it's very much implied he's a total badass. And there's a bit of a, not a scuffle, but there's a bit of throwback between him and Michael verbally, um, where it's revealed that Michael slayed a dragon before. Um, and something that I didn't remember from from this was Michael sounding like, it might have just been the way it was portrayed by uh, James Masters in the audio, but it kind of gave the impression that Michael, like I think Michael says that he he wish he hadn't had to kill the dragon, but I feel James Masters did a very good job at kind of expressing that sense of regret, and mm. I quite I liked that more. And I think if Ferravax is ever a focus of the main book, I would like Michael to be there or then to have more of a conversation about it. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, move, moving on from there. Uh, a woman dressed up as Red Riding Hood sneaks up on Harry and Michael, and it's re- we're revealed that that it's uh, Susan, who came into the party with a forged invite, um, and then Leah or the Lianchi, whatever you want to call her, is kind of <laughs> just kind of wanders past them and explains that with it not being a real invite, she doesn't have any protection as a guest, which means if if that comes out to Bianca, for example, it means they will probably just devour her on the spot. Which, you know, is a bad thing. Um, mm. That runs into chapter 27, where Lianchi drops some crazy funky magic on Harry for breaking his promise in the previous uh, episode with, you know, the whole thing of giving him the power to save charity and then not going, you know, fulfilling his part of the deal. Um, and Susan... Susan makes a deal here, and this, I think we both said before we started recording, we both forgot 
completely about this entire bit. Um, Susan makes a deal with the Yanchi to save Harry, uh, trading like a year of her memory for his survival. Um, it's then revealed, like once the Yanchi scuttles off in her little way, and Susan turns to Harry and is like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, ve- I'm very sorry. Who, who are you?" And it, it's revealed that she took the year of her life that's you know covered between the other couple of books, I guess, because she she knows Harry only by reputation as. I think her words are, oh, aren't you the wizard who's who's in the phone book? And, yeah. Uh, that runs us into chapter 28, where Harry, like, Harry and Michael then both work out that Lilian, she literally just removed him in completely from Susan's memory. And then we're introduced to yet another character, Mavra of the Black Court who is my second favourite character who does a bit more than Ferrovax, but I still feel we we need a lot more <laughs> a lot more Mavra. I need some more Black Court vamps in my life. Um but she she confronts Harry, Susan and Michael as they are trying to, you know, as they decide that they're gonna leave the party. Um and again I I quite like this if she comes back again I'd like a bit more with Michael there, or I would have liked that in one of the previous books, to be honest, um, in the series, which is it's revealed that Michael once again slew like a lot of her vampire children, um, and I don't, I didn't remember that bit either in my head. I remember Mavra being there, but I don't remember that bit of um, backstory. I just thought she was there and being a bitch because she's Mavra, but um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she's she goes to she kind of makes them the deal of, uh, you know, Harry. Harry was the invited guest. He has a plus one, and whoever, you know, leaves with Harry, they can leave, and he, she'll have a stern talking to with the guest that isn't meant to be there, being either yeah. Michael or Susan, um, which presents a bit of a dilemma as you expect, um. She then goes to lunch at Harry, but she is repelled by the crucifix, and I think he lobs a lump of garlic at her as well, which is is quite funny how it describes. Yeah. I'm kind of glad it doesn't describe her as like classically cowering in fear and running away. She just kind of moves at such a fast pace that she's like at the bottom of the steps at one point, and then she's like a few steps up as the garlic hits the ground. But I mean, I can't remember if we have this detail yet, but the Black Court are very much that classic. Ramstroker kind of vampire, Bamstroker, sorry, vampire. Um, yeah, and it's kind of revealed that Mavra is the one behind the ghost attacks. And at this point, mm-hmm. the social time is over and the vampire court is called to order. Yes. So, what do you think of those chapters? Very, very cool. Sorry? Uh, what did you think of the chapters? Um, this is one of the most exciting sections of the the books for me, um, mostly because it felt like the first time that we were seeing the wider magical community. Yeah. Um, you've got representatives from very different places like Ferrovax, Mab, Thomas Race, um, and seeing them all present um, and how they all react to one another and how they all react to 
what's going on is is very interesting. Um, and we don't really get another scene with so many different groups uh, until like peace talks, really. Maybe uh, when like Harry Harry's allies are assembled is a bit like that, but yeah. with different factions that aren't really allied. Um, so it's it's really cool. Um, it feels there's a great feeling of danger and um, something I really like uh, in in any book um, or any story or, or any D and D game. In fact, uh, is when there is a challenge set before the protagonists that isn't directly combat. And this is a very social challenge um, where things like drinking a drink can lead to your death uh, or um, something as uh, straightforward as like the deal that Susan makes uh, where she is trying to just save her partner uh, and she makes a very quick deal uh, on the spur of the moment without any real stipulations um, results in the loss of her and Harry's relationship, essentially. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, like, provocation and social kind of workarounds and, like, the fact that Susan made a forged invite is suddenly a, a fatal mistake. Yeah. Um, that's... I think that that's a really interesting and really creative encounter to put your characters through. Um, and, and I really enjoy that. Um, and, and I really enjoy anything that can give me the tension and excitement of a great battle scene in, uh, without uh, that ever being blood drawn, I guess. Yeah. Um, is very cool. So that, that was kind of the first thing that I really, really loved about it. Um, I think there's just some really cool moments. Um, Michael with the Hamiltons um, is superb. There's a, there's a real like moment where like uh, Kelly Hamilton is trying to kind of seduce Michael, and Michael's just having absolutely <laughs> none of it, um, as as he would. But it just felt like such a in character moment for him. Uh, and then, like, she tries to touch him and just gets burnt. And it's just like, this guy is not the sort of guy that you try and seduce her. He is just, that's not him. Um, I think what so I, I really, like I really that. enjoyed that. And Michael throughout this, um, yeah, Michael throughout this is just a peak wingman to Harry. Um, I really just like how, how he conducts himself. With everything, and you also get the feeling that Michael knows more about the magical community than Harry does in some ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he definitely seems to know more of the players. Um, yeah, that's, that's something I didn't. Which like, is kind of cool. Reading now, which I didn't remember, especially the thing with um, uh, him and Mavra, like how he identifies her as a vampire and all that kind of stuff before Harry even picks up on it. Yeah. Um, 
definitely. Like he. Go ahead. There was another part I just wanted to throw in real quick in relation to Michael being a badass still, even without Amarakius, is that it's, I don't think it's mentioned in these chapters, but I, I just remembered as well that Harry is still very much like powerless. Like the whole incident with the uh, demon chunking out a bit of his spirit. So there's a, there's a lot of sense of danger in their situation. You know he's not just going to turn around and be able to like magic his way out of the situation and I guess Michael can't start hacking away unless it's with a dagger. Yeah. Um, I, I think it makes Michael more interesting that he can still be awesome without the sword. Agreed. Um, yeah, and, and I do like the little like dagger, like you say. And that he uses it as the crucifix is very cool. Um, and later in the chapter. Um, yeah, uh, so I think in general, uh, it's it, it's great to see that Michael is more than just than just Amarakius. Like, there is more to him. Mm. Um, and that he, he's more adaptable. Um, the other character I really enjoy throughout this is Thomas Wraith. Yeah. Um he's just and I don't know I don't know if this is just what what we know about him in later books, but from here, from even like just the little like conversations he has and stuff, I I immediately warmed Thomas Race. He is extremely likable. I know what you mean. Um and I and I think I get the feeling that Harry pretty much from the get-go, is is a bit of a Thomas Wraith fan. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he even says, Michael warns him, oh yeah, don't trust him. He's like, oh, don't worry. I don't trust him because he's a vampire, but I quite like him. I'm not not yeah. those exact words, but it's something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I think in general, Thomas is just... Um, he's very likeable, and he'd seen... It, he, Jim does a really good job of keeping Thomas likable, but while also making him hard to trust. Like when he bring, when he's like, "Oh, the the wine's poisoned," is just after Harry's drank it. Like mm. he could, was he waiting to tell him that or, um, what have you? Uh, and the next kind of section of the book, uh, it does an even better job of making. Thomas's allegiances and who he is kind of more up in the air. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, Ferrovax, I feel like we've pretty much covered, unless there's anything else you wanted to throw throw down on that. Really? I mean, there, there was another point that we didn't have in our notes, which I picked up on. and I added it on to the notes my side, but it's more to do with um, the bargaining with uh, Leanchi and Susan. And okay, it's something that I especially like. I think before the deal is like made between them, uh, Lear is talking to Michael and she's saying, oh, how about you put something up to bargain with one of your children, perhaps? We're specifically interested in your oldest daughter. And I was like, yeah. oh my god. And Michael's like, don't you dare go anywhere near my children. And I thought that was quite... I mean, like we say, given what we know now, it's 
it, I know it's it's quite an interesting thing to pick up. Oh my goodness, that that really did make me go like, wow, um, like even even if you're not even even uh, disregarding that, um, it's just it, it, like everything that that we know it it's not to it's just so amazing that jim had that seed planted in book three for something that doesn't happen until like book eight or nine pretty much absolutely incredible um yeah i i was blown away by but when that happened i was like oh my god I, i can't believe that i missed that Pretty much the uh, same. I mean, I would have missed it the first time because I don't think at this point I, we've even really been introduced to his children properly anyway. So no, it, it no. wouldn't have clicked, and nor would it click by the time they are introduced. I think Molly is first introduced in book five. Yeah, that that's what I want to say. Um, so, oh, just wow. Um, very very cool. Um, yeah, thanks for pulling that one out because that would have been that would have been a bad one to miss, really. Uh, <laughs> um, I also a, a more short term setup uh, setup and payoff that I enjoyed was that mm. the first thing that Leah tries to bargain with Susan for is her love. Yeah, um, and Susan's like, "I'm not, I'm not trading my love with you." And then uh, Leah's like, "Oh well, how about um, how about your memory?" And I think ultimately it was the exact same trade. Yeah, pretty much. Um, she wasn't she wasn't uh, putting anything else up there at all. Um, she just wanted to wreck Harry's relationship with Susan. I assumed so that she could then more easily manipulate harry because he's got one less anchor to the the material world or whatever you want to call it yeah i suppose it's an interesting one because i can't Um, remember how that's resolved yeah me neither um i know that like there's a couple of things that that are already being set up at the party where it's like um yeah she has a tape recorder she has notes and stuff, so maybe she'll be able to like piece it together or something like that. Mm. But even if you could piece together like a relationship, like all the events of a relationship, that's never gonna change the um, the feelings. Like I, I don't know. And given some of what happens later in the series, I'm really like. Huh, they've got to find a way to undo this. <laughs> yeah, it will be interesting to see how the next couple of chapters go because yeah, like you say I don't I don't remember the memory thing happening. Yeah. Interesting. Uh anyway, um but yeah, uh, great um that's a great little like section. Uh you really get the feeling that Susan is trying to play with the the kind of heavyweights the magical heavyweights around her when she doesn't know the full extent of their abilities yeah um and it, I, yeah it, it's almost like 
you just don't know what you're getting into. Come on, like. I mean, um, the just in the uh, picnic basket she had, which had all the kind of uh, classic kind of elements you'd use to fight a vampire, which, I mean, luckily for her, is purely coincidental that they'd work against Mavroth, like the garlic yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But she didn't know what was, yeah, what was like um, ridiculous and what was. Yeah. She was just she was going off folklore essentially, yeah, but, um, and, and I guess that's kind of a running theme with Susan is that she's always a little bit out of her depth. Definitely. Um. So yeah, and then. Uh, the next bit uh, that we wanted to talk about was Mavra herself. Oh boy. She is damn cool. She's a very interesting character and it's, I know, like I think I mentioned, I don't, I didn't remember the connection between her and Michael um, until I read it. But, I, I'm now wondering if that's ever played out any more um, later in the series, because as far, as far as I can remember, from this point onwards, she's more of a Harry villain, whereas it would have been nice to have had that tie in a bit more to Michael some more. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it's a bit of a weird one, really. Because um, yeah. I know that kind of the big Mavra moment doesn't happen until book five or six. One of those, I want to say six. Yeah, because um, there's a, there is a really cool moment, uh, thing with Mavra, and, and I, I think I know why, uh, why it is the case, but the fact that Michael wasn't really a part of the next big Mavra moment is a bit sad because yeah. I think it would have been cool to see more of uh, how they, uh, how their their uh, enmity uh, kind of, I don't know, grows. Um, also, there is some fantastic Mavra art on Google. Highly recommend having a look. Um I personally, when reading, and, and it's just because uh, I don't have much to draw draw f- from reference-wise, can find it hard to visualise androgynous characters. Yeah. Um, just uh, without just being like, oh, it's David Bowie. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, the the like imagery on Google does a really good job of make of like drawing Mavra in such a way that she is quite androgynous. Um, yeah. Which uh, is one of kind of Mavra's, I don't know, uh, most well-known traits. Yeah. Um, is uh, like telling traits that she's she's kind of an androgynous ghoul of a woman. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that, uh, that you want to say on Mavra? Um, not at the moment. I, I mean, I think... Off the top of my head, there's a bit. There is a bit more to say, but it's it's to come in the following chapters, I think. Yeah, I I like how she's an enemy sorcerer as well as being a vampire. It's like 
she, she's kind of drawing from two powers. She yeah. she multiclassed is what happened. <laughs> she multiclassed. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll go into that a bit more in when that when we see a bit more of what she can do and what she's capable of in the next couple of uh, chapters. I think. Yeah, that's fair. Um, who? Uh, so in our uh, keeping our running theme in our Dresden Files movie. Who would you cast to play Mavra? That's something I've not considered at all, but I don't know. Um, Judy Dench. Judy Dench. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My my immediate choice is Tilda Swinton. That's who I was going to say. I just couldn't remember her name for a moment. I was about to say, like, (laughs) if you're one, and I'll quickly Google who she is. But, yeah, I I think she... um, did a good job in I want to say I think it was Constantine with Keanu Reeves where she played yeah. the Angel Gabriel and yes. the whole androgynous thing is is perfectly set up and portrayed in that with the angels I I could definitely see Tilda Swinton rocking that um, god she's been in so many good films <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed her her look in Constantine um, so I could definitely see more of that. Um, if it wasn't Tilda Swinton, I'm less... I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like she gets all the androgynous parts in Hollywood, which <laughs> might not be the best thing. Uh, I'm just going to search androgynous actors and see who we get. Okay, so uh, a lot of actors that I'm not familiar with, which probably says more about me than it does them. Uh, but one uh, that uh, is coming up uh, quite a bit um, is oh god um, the the one that played uh, the actor that played um, Scarecrow in the Christopher Nolan films. Oh, um, is it Killian Murphy? Killian Murphy, that's it. Um, I could almost see Killian Murphy, uh, maybe as Mavra. I could definitely actually see Killian Murphy as uh, Thomas Wraith, especially yeah. when he was younger. Especially when he was younger, I agree on that. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie is another one that's coming up as androgynous. I mean, that's probably, a, that's probably a good choice, actually. She's she would be interesting. Of, she's got yeah. that right level of sass. She does. She does have that right level. <laughs> uh, another, another actress that's coming up that I could actually kind of see if we went for like a, a, an older Mavra um, is Glenn Close. Actually, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, she's she's kind of got the right sort of look for it. And she's a bit older, but then old can also be played off as ghoulish. So yeah. it works. Um, I I can see that working definitely. Yeah, I can see that. Ooh, I didn't know that Glenn Close's daughter is becoming an actress in her own right. That's cool. Nice. <laughs> I feel like we're going down a rabbit hole here. Yeah. But pull, pulling back anyway. Um. Yes. So in in our in our Dresden Files film TV show, uh, possibly Glenn Close, pros- possibly uh, Gwendolyn Christie. I mean. Gwendolyn Christie needs a needs a new role. She deserves a new role after 
Captain Phasma and um, Brienne of Taft. Um, Let's let's give her something good. Give her Mavra. uh, And I'm sure that she would knock it out of the park. Um, Yeah. Okay. So uh, is there anything else that that you want to just kind of throw in here? Not that I can think of. Um, Fine. Brilliant. Uh, there's not much else from me either. Uh, <laughs> so shall we? Uh, shall we wrap it up? Uh, we've got a hell of a couple of chapters to go through next week. Yeah. Um, really, really top-notch stuff uh, as we get into kind of the more fighty side of the ball at uh, Bianca's, um, and then the uh, the kind of um, big reveal of everything that's going on and and the big plan uh so look forward to that definitely uh and yeah rob uh do you want to take us out yeah as always thank you for the support um subscribe share like download we're at uh, 2600 just crossed um yeah follow us on facebook uh twitter instagram you know the drill um, next week we'll be covering chapters 29 to 32 of Brave Peril. So, uh, yeah, get reading and we look forward to talking about it with you. Um, yeah, and until next week, you've been listening to the uh, Paranet podcast with me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lund. Crack open a can of Coke and we will see you next week. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.